I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 is our scripture reading in focus. If you're using one of our Ontario URC Bibles, our Pew Bibles, you can find that on page 1,211. 1,211. This is 1 John chapter 2. If you're visiting with us, we've been making our way through this first letter of John. And last time we considered verses 12 through 14, and we considered that topic of Christian self-esteem and what God declares over our lives and how we're to conform ourselves to his reality. And we remember that John gave us that encouragement because he's been saying some hard things to us as God's people. And here's another one of those sections that is a big one for us to take in as God's people. It's 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Hear now the holy and inspired and infallible word of our God. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. May he add his blessing to the reading and preaching of his word. Well, indeed, there are some texts of the Bible that really hit close to home. And this is definitely one of those passages of the Bible which says here, Do not love the world or the things of the world. Uh, This is a hard text to digest, even for faithful Christians, because I think worldliness is one of those respectable sins within Christianity. It's one of those sins that we just kind of accept as, you know, everyone's going to struggle with that. And when we think of worldliness, we might think of materialism or consumerism, which are definitely expressions of worldliness, But there's also worldliness in the sense that we adopt worldly ideologies, worldly ways of thinking. Uh, F.F. Bruce is a famous Christian commentator and biblical scholar who lived in the UK from 1910 to 1990. And he writes about how sometimes it was hard in his day for outsiders to distinguish the interest of the kingdom of God from the interest of the British Empire. And he writes... Nowadays, uh, on this passage, nowadays, this tendency to confuse the gospel with national or imperial ideals may be more clearly manifested in equal and, op- in equal and opposite degrees in other parts of the world. And we see this, of course, you know, worldliness expressing itself through the church's blend with ideologies on the political left and the political right. Uh, We see God's people, even in the church, being swept up in different kind of ideologies that confuse us about who God is, about who we are as human beings, of what it means to be uh, those made in God's image. Uh, We probably don't even realize how much worldly thinking influences our day-to-day thinking on particular issues of the day. It's the waters that we swim in. And so today we want to consider how these various forms of worldliness do dwell in our hearts, but we don't want to stop there. We want to think about the antidote to worldliness, which is truly to be gripped by a greater and better love. 
John not only tells us not to love a certain thing, but he gives us the antidote to worldliness, which is to love the Father above all. We are created by God as humans with a deep capacity to love, and that love is to be met in God. And so first, we're going to consider these two incompatible loves, this love of the world and this love of the Father. Then we'll consider why it is we do love the world sometimes. It's because of our twisted desires that John highlights here. And then we're going to consider, finally, the two eternal investments that we could go into. So first, beloved, look at verse 15, and you see there two incompatible loves. John again writes, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, what does it mean to not love the world? It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy the things that are in this world. Right? That's not what John has in view here. There are many good gifts that God has blessed us with in this world that we can enjoy this side of heaven. Good food, a good glass of wine, or even a beer. The beauty of creation relationships, art, music, and the list goes on. God himself created this world. He loves material things. Even as we heard this morning, he is not just going to do away with this world and in its entirety, but he's making it new. He's going to bring it through that purification process and redeem it. But what John has in mind here is specifically the world as it's set in opposition to God. The world as it's set in opposition to to God. John has in mind here worldly values that are opposed to God, worldly practices that are opposed to God, worldly mindsets, worldly standards that are opposed to God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, we see that. And there are other scriptures that provide a very similar command to not love the world. James 1, verse 27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Jesus reminds us as Christians that if we are living faithful lives this side of heaven and we are seeking to be true followers of him, that we are going to be met with opposition. John 15, verse 18, Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If you are a true Christian, opposition will most definitely come your way in this life in some form, because it came Jesus's way when he bore witness to the Father on earth. He offended people on both sides of the spectrum, didn't he? The religious elite and the secular rulers of the day both opposed Jesus and were threatened. Again, off, uh, commentator F.F. F. Bruce writes, uh, to share political, social, or economic presuppositions which are inconsistent with the Father's love is a form of worldliness. And Jesus didn't give in to the various agendas of his day that were in opposition to God, but he preached his kingdom that was not of this world. Indeed, if you're being faithful to Jesus, this side of heaven, you are going to offend people in various groups, various parts of the political aisle, because the lordship of Jesus and his kingdom doesn't fit neatly and tidily into any of those particular systems. 
And as Christians, we could have our convictions on where we stand on those issues, but we recognize that if we are following Jesus Christ faithfully, we can never knit our hearts to worldly agendas because all will fall short of his standard. And we see two incompatible loves here. You can't love the Father and you can't love the world at the same time. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, this verse may be speaking of the Father's love for us, but in context here, it probably refers to a person who loves the world doesn't actually love the Father at all. In other words, John is saying you can't align yourself with a world that is in opposition to God and at the same time claim to love God. Those things don't match up. This doesn't mean a Christian can never stumble into worldliness. Doesn't mean that our thinking can't go astray at times. Indeed, we are constantly repenting of worldliness in various forms. But our life is to be shaped by a love and a devotion to the Father. This person who loves the world continually walks in those things that are in opposition to God. Those values really mark the person's life. Jesus said in Matthew 6 24, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. While there are many who do live for the world, beloved, and there's temptations in our hearts to fix our attention on the things that we could see here on this earth, why is loving the world so attractive? Why is it a temptation we struggle with? Well, we see here not only these two incompatible loves, but John highlights here the twisted desires of our hearts. It's our second point. The twisted loves are the twisted desires of our hearts. Verse 16, he says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. John here speaks of deep desires that we have been given by God. Some translate this word desire as lust, which um, is not as helpful because this word here can be uh, can have positive or negative connotations in the New Testament. Jesus uses this word to describe the deep longing he had in his heart and craving he had. He says this in Luke 22. He says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Suffer. Paul writes in Philippians 1.23, my desire, the same word, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Deep desires. And all of us here, and all people in this world, whether they are Christians or non-Christians, we all have been created with deep desires, a deep capacity to love. As one uh, uh, author put it, we're not always driven by what we think. We're driven by what we love deep down. God gave us a desire to love deeply, uh, but this desire is not always met in God. As the old song goes, there's a God-shaped hole in all of us that only he can feel. But loving this world can be so attractive because the world offers substitute pleasures that promise to feel this desire, that promise to feel this void for satisfaction in our hearts. The problem of sin is that it perverts good desires and twists them. That's why we're thinking of twisted desires. 
And we see that here with what is described by John, the desires of the eyes and of uh, the flesh and of the pride in possessions. First, he speaks of the desires of the flesh. These are natural desires that human beings have that are good, but sin, against takes what is good and perverts it and twists it. God has given us a desire to eat food and taste buds that enjoy food, but sin twists that and we can become gluttons. God has given wine to gladden the heart of man, the scriptures say, but sin twists that and we could become drunkards and not glorify God. God has given us sexual desires and passions, God-given, good, but sin twists that and we become sexually immoral people in so many different ways. Sin perverts what is good. And the world indeed offers gratification for our flesh and gives us these solutions that are based on this twisted desires, but we're left longing for more. And John here speaks not only the desires of the flesh, but also the desires of the eyes. This is a reference to the short-sightedness of our vision where we fix our eyes simply on the here and the now. This verse highlights how we're so easily captivated by the outward appearance of things and we actually don't truly see their real value. And of course, there's two things in our culture that we could highlight that really highlight the desires of the eyes. One is materialism and one is consumerism. Right? Materialism means that we are considering material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual matters. And we all struggle with that, don't we? We look to material possessions and physical comfort at times as more important than spiritual matters. It's hard to find contentment even in the material things that God blesses us with. So we're always looking over the fence at our neighbor. And there's also consumerism. Consumerism speaks of a culture that is preoccupied with acquiring material possessions or goods. And we participate, don't we, in this culture of excess here in the U.S. Speaking of the Super Bowl, you know you got to mention it when the game's going on right now. Do you know what the average cost of the Super Bowl ticket was for the seat? I know my daughter does because I just told her before the sermon. It was $9,000, the average cost for a seat at the Super Bowl. And uh, right there at the middle section, right lower level near the, uh, what is it, that half half line there? The Yeah, 50-yard line, you know, a few rows up. The, the most expensive ticket in that area was $41,000. And the lowest price for a Super Bowl ticket this year was $5,700, right? It's a culture of excess, an extravagant culture that we live in. And indeed, beloved, we don't just look at things like that, but we look at our own lives and we see our own covetous hearts at times, our own desire for more to buy the next thing that will hopefully make us a little bit happier. All of these things, beloved, flow from what John is saying here, the twisted desires of our flesh, the eyes that we have that are always captivated by the outward show of things. And John highlights here as well the pride of life, the pride of life. This speaks to our pride and security in the stuff that we have, that we look out at our lives and we might not say it out loud, but we look at our retirement accounts or we look at our bank account or we look at the things that we have and we think in our hearts, do I really need the Lord? 
Again, we will not say that, but we have this self-sufficient, autonomous mindset that manifests itself in our hearts. And how does it show itself? We live each day not really acting very dependent upon God. We don't really pray to him. We don't really seek his face. We bank our security on the things of this world. We all struggle with this. In these descriptions of worldliness, right? The desires of the flesh, the eyes, the pride of life. We hear even in this description, the echo of the fall, right? Genesis chapter three, you remember what happened there at the fall. Satan was tempting Eve to find the good life in something other than God. And it began very much just like this here with the desire of the flesh. We're told that she saw that the fruit was pleasant to her eyes and she desired to become wise. And when she saw that fruit with her eyes, she took of it and she ate. And we do the same thing when we look for satisfaction, wisdom, goodness in something other than God, trying to satisfy the deep desires of our hearts. And this is not just Adam and Eve in the Old Testament. This is the Old Testament story. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13 says of Israel, God says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. See, we turn away from the only one who can satisfy our thirsty hearts, and we create for ourselves these broken cisterns that don't hold water, so we're constantly longing for more in this world. We just need a little bit more money. We just need a little bit more recognition. I just need to get that next promotion in my job and I'll be happy. I just need that new gadget or that new tool or that new relationship or that new marriage. I just need more and then I'll be happy. Jim Carrey famously said, the great actor, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they could see that it's not the answer. We become just like that woman at the well who met Jesus and was so spiritually thirsty. She didn't realize how empty her soul truly was until she came across our Savior, the living water. Beloved, only Jesus Christ, this side of heaven and in the next life, can give us what our thirsty hearts are longing for. You see, you don't fight the love of this world and everything that you've just heard simply by mere willpower, just by saying, I'm not going to love the world. But you need to cultivate an even greater love in this life, which is a love for God, a love for the Father. And that's what our Lord Jesus even models for us in his perfect life before he goes to the cross and dies for all of our sins and all of our worldliness. He actually is tempted just like Adam and just like you and me. And he was tempted by the devil with the desires of the flesh. The devil said, I know you're hungry out here fasting. Jesus, turn these stones into bread. Satisfy your flesh. He was tempted with the desires of the eyes. Satan said to Jesus, look at all of the kingdoms of this world. They can be yours if you just bow down to me. He was tempted with the pride of life, tempted with self-sufficiency. Jesus, cast yourself off and the angels will protect you. 
Jesus fought the temptations of Satan with a greater desire to honor and glorify his father. He sought approval, satisfaction, and blessing, not in the worldly counterfeits that Satan offered him, but from his father alone. And God invites us as those united to Jesus by faith to do the same today. God says to us, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. God reminds us that if we are hungry, Jesus is bread for our hungry souls. That if we are thirsty, he is water for our thirsty hearts. And we receive that which we are truly longing for when we repent of our sins. That is, turn away from them. We trust in Jesus, his life his death, his resurrection for sinners like us. This call to find our hearts satisfied in Christ is what we heard about even this morning when we think about that new creation. I like how C.S. Lewis famously put it. He said, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Think about that connection, even with what we heard this morning and how we were made for Christ and enjoying that communion and fellowship with him. Well, if this is all true, how should we be living as those who are loving the Father and not the world? Well, John here tells us finally in our last verse here of the two kinds of investments we can be making, two very different eternal investments. First, John tells us why it's a really bad investment to attach our lives and our hearts to this world. First, because he says it's temporary. Notice what he says, the world is passing away. Not only can we not take any of the things with us at death, but John is saying everything that belongs to this present evil age, it's going to be gone. All of the desires of this world are going to pass away one day. All of the things that we value, beloved, this side of heaven, the things that you see on YouTube and TikTok and Instagram, all of these worldly things that we value are not going to matter in light of eternity. In heaven, beloved, in the new creation, it's not going to matter what kind of clothes you wore here on earth, what kind of car you drove how big your house was, how much money you made. All of the things that we tend to value as human beings are not going to make it in the new creation in regards to what we care about. What will matter is how you loved God and how you served those made in his precious image. What's going to matter is how you stewarded the good gifts that God blessed you with this side of heaven and use them for his glory. And this doesn't mean that we can't have and enjoy very nice things this side of heaven. You could be wealthy and close to God, and you could be poor and close to God. The question is, how do we relate to this world that is passing away? Do we build our identity in the things of this world? Do we define ourselves by the things of this world? Or are we seeking to steward the good gifts that God blessed us with for his glory and for the good 
of our neighbor. John says it's a bad investment to give your heart to the world because it's passing away. And then he tells us it's also dangerous. The world is passing away along with its desires. How is it dangerous? Think about this. If you attach yourself to the world, then you share in the same destiny of this world. In other words, it's passing away. And so will you if you live simply for this world. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 17, 32? He said those chilling words, Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. The Old Testament, you remember, God judged that city, Sodom and Gomorrah, and he delivered Lot and his wife from that city. God rescued them, showing them amazing grace. But as they fled, Lot's wife looked back at Sodom and Gomorrah, longing for the things that were there. And she died on the spot and became a pillar of salt. If you attach yourself and your heart to this world, you face the same fate of this world. John says, however, whoever does the will of the Lord will abide forever. And what is God's will? According to John, God's will is that you believe that Jesus is the Christ. And God's will is that you love one another. It's that simple. You believe that Jesus is the Christ and you love one another. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. And he said to them, What must we be doing to do the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. See, beloved, if we attach ourselves to this world, we share in its destiny. But if we attach ourselves with Jesus, we share in his destiny. We share in his victory. If we attach ourselves to Jesus, then we are loved like Jesus, by the Father as adopted sons and daughters. We're given the inheritance of Jesus as those who are part of the family. We're raised like Jesus from this world in glory into the new creation. And even now, beloved, God declares these things over us. And in light of these things, we get the sweetness of this world back. We get to enjoy this world as it was meant to be enjoyed, as we keep our eyes on eternity. Jesus says in Matthew 6, then, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of the things of this life, what we will eat, what we will drink, what we'll put on, will be given to us. So dear people of God, you have been created by God with deep desires. And God would have us consider our hearts today and consider where our hearts are oriented. Are they oriented towards simply the things of this world or to the God who made this world and who made us for his glory. St. Augustine said, indeed, our hearts will be restless until they find their rest in him. So, dear people of God, do not love the world, but love the Father, the one who created you, the one who gave his son to redeem you, the one who sent Jesus to be the bread of life for our hungry souls. Indeed, may we receive Christ and not love this world, but love the Father. Amen. Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words that you give us that are at times hard to take in and digest. For we confess, Lord, we live in a, a prosperous, comfortable world and country. And Lord, we um, at times simply put our, our hope and our energy simply into the things that are passing away. But help us, O Lord, to turn our eyes even this evening upon Jesus, to consider what it means to be united to him by faith. Help us, Lord, to, to not always be warmly welcomed by the world as we stand faithfully for Christ, but to endure suffering, to endure it well, knowing that the sufferings of this age are not worthy to be compared with the glory that awaits your people. And Father, we pray as well that you would help us to be your witnesses in this world and show this world by our life and how we live that living for Jesus is worth it. We thank you so much for Christ and the inheritance that you have secured for us in him. We pray that indeed that blessed hope would shape even our lives this week as we seek to live for your glory. Hear our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.